Amen. Um, uh, I'm going to do something a bit stupid. Um, I'm going to preach a completely different message to the one that I've prepared. Um, but I just feel prompted to do so. Um, oh, this is a bit ringy, Joel. Uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, as a, as a preacher, you, you kind of, you prepare all this stuff. And then you, you come in and you think, oh, the Lord's told me to give something completely different. So I'm going to do that. I don't normally do that very often. It's quite, actually, it's quite unlike me uh, to do that. But I really felt prompted by um, the psalm that Simon read at the beginning. Uh, I really felt very challenged by that and have been pondering that as we've gone through our time of worship together. Um, uh, and so I'd like to start. I don't know if you can put that up on the screen, Joel. Uh, psalm 63. Uh, and I'd like us to read that together. So I believe that the Lord wants to speak into this, into this, uh, and just trust that you know it may not be as polished, um, and uh, together as as I might normally like. But I trust that the Lord wants to speak about this topic. Um, so let's read it together, can we? Have you got it, Joel? Psalm 63. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, it's a good reason to bring your Bibles, isn't it, when the screen doesn't work. Um, Psalm 63 says this, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Better is your steadfast love than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the, upon you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. It's a really wonderful psalm, this. You know, it's a really amazing sort of expression of David's heart, of hunger for God when he's in a very barren and dry place. And I think that... In order to understand this, you have to understand the context in which this psalm was written. So um, it's, it comes, I think, from uh, Samuel, so chapter, sorry, 2 Samuel, uh, and it's the story of David finding himself in the wilderness again after uh, the political coup that's occurred with Absalom. So if you know your Bible stories and your Bible history, David was the king and his son rose up uh, and overthrew him, and David had to run for his life. And he took basically his family and some people with him and he just went for it. And they just ran into the wilderness. And so David has gone from being a king uh, who's had it all to being in the wilderness. And not only has uh, he had that, he's had to deal with the fact that his son has betrayed him. And many of the people whom he thought were his friends had deserted him and left him. And he finds himself again in this place of the wilderness. 
And, you know, often in the place of the wilderness is the point where God seems absent. God seems to be missing because David's gone out into the wilderness and he's lost it all, seemingly. He finds himself in a position where his family have gone. The things that he knew have gone. The temple where he would have gone to worship is gone. He's, he's running for his life. He's in a position of being completely feeling a sense of emotional absence of God. And it's in this point that David, who has learned over many years to find God, realises that once again he needs to find God in the wilderness. Because the thing about a wilderness is the wilderness is God's ordained place of growth. Right? You might not like wilderness times in your life, right? And I certainly don't like times of wilderness in my life spiritually, but it's God's ordained place of growth. And we hate the wilderness. No one wants to be in the wilderness, but if you really want to go on with the Lord, you have to accept that God will from time to time take you into places of the wilderness. And David spent three significant periods of his life in the wilderness. I don't know if you knew that, right? But the first one, when did David spend his first time in the wilderness? As a boy. And as a shepherd boy, he learned to trust God. He learned to realise that God, in his wilderness place of being on his own with a few sheep in a very dangerous environment, he realised he could trust God. And he knew that he could love God. And then he spent a second period in a wilderness. When was the second period he spent in the wilderness? When he was running away from Saul. When he had been anointed king, when he'd been a great commander, a great battle hero, David had slain, Saul had slain his thousands, and David had slain his ten thousands, and here he is, he's gone from greatness, he's back again in the wilderness. And in that point, he learned what it was meaning to be humble and to be patient. God had anointed him king, God had said, you are my man, you're the one that's going to reign. He had been chosen to be part of Christ's line and here he was again, running, and in enemy territory. He was alone, and he learned in that period of wilderness what it meant to be humble and to be patient. And he would have thought, you would have thought to himself, maybe David said to himself, two times in the wilderness, surely that's enough. Surely I've learned all that I can learn from the Lord. But what does God say to him? What does God engineer for him again? A third time. And you imagine how that must feel going out again, third time into the wilderness, thinking, surely I've been here before. But you see, this is the psalm. This is why this psalm is so important, because what David has learned is that if God's taken him into the wilderness, that God is going to reveal himself and show himself to be powerful again. And you know, if you want to look through the Bible about the history of men of God and women of God who have ever done anything, the truth is most of them spent time in the wilderness. Whether it was Moses, Moses spent 40 years, Moses spent 40 years, he spent a long time wandering around looking after sheep. Elijah spent loads of time in the wilderness. Job spent time in the wilderness. John the Baptist spent time in the wilderness. Jesus spent time in the wilderness. If God loves you, he will take you into the place of the wilderness. If God loves you, he will take you into a place of the wilderness because it is the place of God's ordained time of growth. You know, the Bible says, do not despise the discipline of the Lord. For those whom he loves, he disciplines. And this morning you may be thinking, oh, I'm just done in, I'm tired, I've had enough. I don't want to keep going any longer. But the Lord wants to bring you into a place of freshness. You know, a few years ago... Um, 
we did a, a me and John Watson and da Daniel Ball and a couple of other guys, we did a walk uh, on uh, the 10 tour. We attempted to do 10 tours in Dartmoor. Anyone, anyone know what that is? Right. You ever been to Dartmoor? Right. Everyone loves Haytor, right? Haytor is the nice bit of Dartmoor, right? Okay. Right. If you just keep going, right? Anyone that's that's ever travelled into Dartmoor, and it's lovely on the edge, right? It's kind of beautiful rock faces, and basically you're you're pretty close to the tea shop, yeah. So you kind of walk up the hill and you're back into the tea shop within half an hour. But if you keep going and keep going, it turns into a really quite rugged landscape. And I tell you, that was one of the most difficult. Um, I'm not particularly an outdoorsman. Um, I'm not known for my outdoor skills, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not one of these people that just loves to kind of go out and be in the wilderness. And I tell you what, uh, you can walk out into a wilderness and it's a beautiful place. And you look one minute and you think, oh wow, it's beautiful in the wilderness. And then you come crashing back to the reality that you're miles and miles away from anywhere and you're cold and you're wet and you're lost uh, and that you find yourself trying to pitch a tent on the side of a hill in the rain and start a fire when it's pouring with rain. In the end, you just give up and go to bed having virtually eaten anything, just thinking, I wish this would come to an end. Yeah? All right? Um, and the thing about the wilderness is it can be a really, really tough place to be in. You can have moments when you think, okay, Lord, I see you, and then seconds later you're back into that position of realising how tough it is. But you see, the wilderness is often a place, isn't it, of the beginning, of our beginning. When we start, uh, that's where God wants to bring us back. That's where David brought us back again to his beginnings. Right? You might think that David had mastered it, he'd matured, he'd got to the position of being a great king, and what did the Lord do? He brought him back again to the beginning back to where he started. And the wilderness is a place of often feeling lost. You know, I don't know if you feel this morning a bit lost and a bit vulnerable and a bit like, where am I with God? I don't know where God is. I don't feel God. I don't see God. I don't sense God. But that's often the experience of the wilderness. And I think David would have felt lost when we look at this psalm. I think he would have thought to himself, what am I doing, Lord? You brought me back to the beginning again. I thought I'd move past it. But he hadn't. And so I want to look this morning at, at this psalm and just look at it really line by line. As I was reading it in the, uh, in the worship together, I was just struck by the sense in which God wanted to speak so powerfully through these words. And it starts with, doesn't it, Oh God, you are a God, the God. What does he say? Oh God, you are my God. Oh God, you are my God. You know, and when we look and we realise and we learn from what David has said. He's come to this position after three times in the wilderness of realising he's not just the God of his fathers. He's not just the God of somewhere else, someone else's God. He's my God. I've learned to go through with you, Lord. And now I'm in the wilderness. I know that you are my God. I know that you're for me. I know that you're with me. And God wants to bring you into that place where you can say, Oh God, you are my God. You're not just a God. You are my God. And I know what it means to love and worship you. And so it goes on, it says, My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What's your, uh, what's your favourite food? I don't know what your favourite food. Helen's is peanut M&M's. Um, <coughs> I think mine is... Yeah, uh, exactly. I don't eat them. It's very annoying. Um, <coughs> mine is a whisper bar, right? And the thing about comfort food, I don't know if you... If it, are you into comfort food? I don't know if you comfort eat, right? Okay, I, I've been known to comfort eat, right? When you're feeling a bit fed up, right? And the thing is, is that um, when you comfort eat, it feels a hunger. 
but it doesn't really give you what you need. It doesn't sustain you. It's not the kind of food that's going to get you healthy and well. And you know our shops are brimming with stuff that is good for you for five minutes, will make you feel good, but does no good for you in the long term. And I want to ask you the question this morning. When you came through those doors, what was in your heart? Was it, oh God, you are my God, my soul at thirst for you. My heart longs for you. Because that's what God, what I really believe, that over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on this subject of hunger. And that's probably why Simon read the, the psalm. Um, because I feel God's been speaking to me uh, about us as a church. Uh, and I, I just, this is something that's come to me out of prayer. I spent some time praying, um, as I do try to most Mondays. Um, and I was alone with the Lord, and I really felt God challenging me and saying, you know, where's your hunger? Where's the hunger for God? And I, do you know what? I felt so challenged because I realised that in my own life there is not that real sense of hunger for God. Where my priority, my desire, my everything is, Lord, I must have more of you. And I felt that God was challenging me on that and challenging us as a church. Because I believe that God, what the Lord wants to do over the next couple of months is bring us as a body, as a family, into a place where we are hungry and thirsty for God. Where we turn up on a Sunday morning and we're not waiting for Miriam to do a good job to see whether or not we're going to get into the worship. It's not fair to put responsibility onto the people that stand there as to whether or not you're going to have a feeling with God this morning. The question is, if you are hungry this morning, you will find the Lord. If you walk through those doors and your heart is like, yes, Lord, I want you, it doesn't matter, then you will find God in the smallest scrap. If your heart and your soul are thirsty and hungry for God, and I believe the Lord wants to challenge you and challenge I, do you really want God? Do you really want God? Do I really want God? Am I willing to pay the cost of what it takes to get God? Because the truth is, I've realised that God is challenging me so deeply on these issues. Right? The truth is that I know that I want God in my box. I want God when it suits me. I want God to add to my comfortable life. And I believe that God is challenging me and saying, if you want me, then you have to give stuff up. You have to move away from some things because you're not going to get me while you're filling yourself up on stuff that doesn't really satisfy. How much time do we spend watching the television? I have to put my hands up. I do love Netflix. And you. But I've stopped watching it. Because I realised that the Lord was saying to me, Tim, you spend so much time doing that, how much time do you spend really making space for me? When was the last, if I were to ask you, if I were to say to you, what's your devotional life like this morning? How much time do you spend alone with God? If you were to look at that and ask yourself the question, what's the answer? And this isn't a way to condemn you, it's a way to challenge you and ask the Lord is saying to you this morning, how much time do you really commit to spending time with God. Well, I spend lots of time watching Netflix. Because there's a new series out. It's really awesome. But to be honest, I can't remember the last time I spent much time in prayer. I don't really read very much. You know, maybe you're very faithful and you're diligent. I want to challenge you. When was the last time you spent time alone with God where you said, you know what, I've got an evening tonight and, you know, my partner is out and I've got some time alone. Do you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to sit down, I'm going to chill out, I'm going to make, do that thing that makes me feel comfortable. Or will you say, I will devote this evening to being alone with God. And even if I sit there, and I'll be honest, I sit sometimes with the Lord and I do fall asleep. Right? But the Lord is okay with that. Do you know why the Lord's okay with that? Not if you've just gone for a pure nap. Yeah? If you've just said, I'm going to go to be with the Lord and I'll get into my bed and I'll spend the Lord, you know, I'll just tuck myself up in bed, Lord, I'm here now. Yeah, that's not what the Lord means, right? But, you know, if you come and you make that space for God, what you're saying is, oh, my soul and my heart hungers and thirsts for you. And if you want to get out of the wilderness, it's real simple. Get alone with the Lord. Because that's what David had to do in this experience, you know? There's a, a phrase that C.S. Lewis uh, uses, which is, we are far too easily pleased. And we are far too easily pleased. So what does it say in verse 2? It says, I, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So David is in this wilderness. What does David look and see when he's in the wilderness? When you're in the wilderness, when I was in the tent, doing, in the middle of Dartmoor, what do you see? For a start, you don't see very much. But what you do see is wet, mud, rocks, just more scrub, Right, more plants, more of these, like this weird grass formation, which is like in like lumps, and you're trying to walk across it, and it's like, I don't, I don't know, what's it called? Paul, do you know what that's called? It's, it's, Beth used to live in Devon, you should know, come on. Um, you know, it's like this stuff, and you have to walk across it, and you're like trying to stand it, and you fall in it, and then you, it's just awful, right? And, you know, when you're in that place of barrenness, what does David do? What does it say he does? Because I've looked upon you in your sanctuary. He isn't able to walk into the temple like he once was. He isn't able to hear the sound of the singing and all the rest of it. But what he does is he starts by reminding himself of the times when he has seen God move. And if you are in the wilderness, the first thing that you should do is start reminding yourself whether you sit and write it down on a piece of paper, all right, or whether you sit and meditate and you think upon all those times the Lord has blessed you. You think upon all the times that you've been good to you. You think about all the times you know you've been in the presence of the Lord and you thank him for what he's done. He's reminding himself of God's power and his glory. He's reminding himself that God's love is better than his own life. And he knows that if he looks back and he keeps reminding himself of what God's done, it will make him realise that as God has done in the past, God will do in the future. God will bring him back into the place of goodness and back into the place of life. So, as we move through this psalm, we continue to see that what David does is he responds to the fact that he's in the wilderness. And how does he respond? Well, what is it? It says here, it says, I will lift up my hands. David's response, second response, is not just to look back, but his first response is a physical response. You know, it's a physical response. You know, Lauren's not been in the church very long, right? Okay, right. But probably when you first started coming, there were a whole lot of people who stood there in the meeting and did this. Right, okay. Apart from if you're going to a concert, right, okay, Helen, right, okay, <coughs> um, then you, you know it's not usual for a group of people to get together and just do this, right, okay. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Put your hands in the air. But David's response is, I will lift my hands. Because I think there is something, if you want to find yourself out of the place of the wilderness, the first thing you need to do is make a physical response. Because sometimes you can tell your body to do something and your heart follows. 
right? Now, I went cycling yesterday, right, and it was somewhat of an error, okay? Right, we went cycling out, Joel planned this lovely route, okay? Uh, but Joel cycles way more often than I have done recently, okay? And I reminded myself of how much it hurts to cycle, right? <coughs> Um, it's painful, any of them that does physical. Paul did a marathon last week, didn't you, Paul? Well done, yes, okay. Nearly collapsed, so he tells me, but he got through it, okay? But the only way that you are, if, how many times when you were training for the marathon, Paul, did you get to that point and you think, mm, I'm tired, I don't want to do my training. I don't want to go for my training run, right? You don't. Your body tells you you shouldn't train right now. You're tired. Your body tells you, don't do it. Your, your mind tells you, just chill out. Your heart tells you, you should watch Netflix, right? That's what, that's what everything is in you is saying. But if you want to run the marathon, you have to get up. If you want to be good at cycling, you have to get on your bike. You have to do something physical. You literally have to force yourself to do it. And do not underestimate the importance of the physical. The actually getting up and doing something, right? How many times, I mean, you know, I know that uh, I hear stories of people that have really struggled with depression. And what do they say about people that struggle with depression? You've just got to get up and do something, right? You've got to get up and get out, get moving, right? Don't worry about how you feel about it. The feelings will come later. And so David makes a physical response. He puts his hand in the air. You know, I think that's why it's so important that you come to church. You might think, oh, church is boring. And you're already sitting here this morning and thinking, goodness me, he's dull. I wish he'd hurry up and finish, right? But you being here this morning, right, is an expression of your commitment and your will to go through with God. And when you don't feel like coming to church, the most important thing you can do is come to church. Right? You may not feel like praying. You may not feel like coming to the prayer meeting. You may think, why on earth would I go to the prayer meeting? You, I mean, we're going to start praying at six o'clock. Probably not this week because I think we're probably going to have to use Pat's house and Pat's in America. So poor Gemma doesn't want us all just turning up, right? But you will not want to get up. Never ever in the history of me going to six o'clock prayer meetings have I ever wanted to get up and go to a six o'clock prayer meeting. But my response is physical because I say I thirst and I hunger after you and I'm going to respond physically and worry about what I feel about later. If you want to come out of the wilderness, you need to follow David's response, which is that I put my hands in the air, I do something physical. What's the next thing we see? It says, his my mouth will praise you. So the first response is physical, the second response is verbal. Right? He does something with his mouth. Right? He speaks truth, he speaks praise. You know, fear is a bully, isn't it? Fear is a bully. Fear will put you in a corner. And do you know the best way to deal with fear? Tell it where to go. Speak truth. Speak truth. Rebuke it verbally. You know, we often use our mouths to talk about all kinds of things. You know, we love to pick up the phone and talk to our friends about the series on Netflix. Yeah? I'm going to keep mentioning that. Yeah? Right? Your lips are a powerful weapon. Right? But when you come into a place of the wilderness, you need to speak truth. You need to praise God. Even though your heart may not respond, your head may not respond, your mouth needs to. Our mouth seems to have no problem speaking all kinds of other stuff, does it? Right? But you need to use your mouth for the glory of God. When Jesus was in the wilderness and being tempted, what, did, what was his response to the devil's challenges? What did he do? Someone tell me. He spoke what? He spoke scripture. When the devil tempted him, he spoke scripture. He spoke truth 
back at lies. When you feel like you were in the wilderness, it is important that you continue to praise and you continue to speak and you continue to use your mouth for the glory of God because all the time, your heart and your spirit and everything you feel will follow on afterwards. You're verbally, you're reminding yourself, you're physically responding, you're mentally responding and what will happen is things will come. And so what's the third response or the fourth response, sorry? What does it say here? The next line, it says, I will meditate in the watches of the night. I will meditate in the watches of the night. You know, David's next response is mental. Meditation, right? Now, I'm not talking about mm, meditation. I'm talking about thinking on God. Now, I woke up the other night, and I was... I, those of you that, that know my saga, it's been terrible. Um, I had a gum infection. Speak. Yeah? Right? Okay? It was bad. It was a bad gum infection. Right? It was almost as bad as Lauren's, but not quite. Right? Okay? And it was so painful. Right? And so horrible. And I woke up one night and I sort of felt this twinge. And I realised the devil just attacked me with fear. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was just attacked with fear. I just, I don't know if you've, have you ever had that experience? The devil loves to come to you in the night. It's in the dark places, in the, in the place when you're not fully with it. Yeah? And, and I just felt absolutely overracked with fear. So I did what any good man should do, any good husband. I turned to my wife and said, darling, I'm really feeling the devil is attacking me. Will you pray for me? <clears throat> she said, yeah, of course I'll pray for you, Tim. So she starts praying, Lord, I just want to pray you'd help Tim, just that the devil would leave him alone and, and yeah, and that he'd have fun when he goes out with his friends and he'd just enjoy eating things and, um, and I'm like, you've fallen asleep, haven't you? Um, <laughs> And she'd just fallen asleep whilst praying for me in the watches of the night. But, you know, I found that the only way to combat that is not to turn to your wife and ask them to pray for you, because it's no use, right? She was asleep, right? It wasn't much help at all, to be quite honest, right? <clears throat> um, but it's to meditate on the Lord, to think upon him. That's what I'm talking about, making space for God. Make space to think about Jesus. You know, one of the things that I love to do, one of the little tips that I help, you know what I listen to? I put on worship music and I will sit alone with God and I will and just and let the words sink into me. Right? And you know I'm a bit of a sad a sado, right? Okay, not sado. I quite like listening to hymns, right? Stuff that's got real truth in it. Because there's lots of lovely, fluffy stuff, right? But the thing I've realised that speaks most into me is when I meditate upon the work of the cross. And I meditate on the work of Jesus. And I meditate on those things that speak truth into my life. And when I can't even speak it out, at least something's speaking in. Yeah? And so I want to say to you this morning, if you find yourself awake in the night, okay, you need to realise that your mind is not uncontrollable. We have this view that our minds are completely uncontrollable. They're like a kind of wild beast, you know. My mind just thinks stuff and I can't get any control over it. Rubbish. Total and utter rubbish. The Bible tells you over and over again, bring your mind into control. And too many Christians do not allow God to bring their mind under control. And they think that just because they've thought something, it must be true. Just because they've thought something, it must be true. It's not true. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. The word of God is truth. That's why you need to keep speaking it. When you think, oh, I'll never achieve anything. What a load of rubbish. When you think, oh, I'm never going to get out of this. What a load of rubbish. When someone says something, what rubbish. What does the Lord say? And come back and meditate upon his word. And what does it say next then? It says, for you have been my help. I love this phrase, in the shadow of your wings, in the shadow 
of your wings, I will sing for joy. You know, the Lord loves to bring you under the shadow of his wing. You know, if you see um, <coughs> baby chicks and things like that and, and hens, what does the mother do? Brings them under. Brings them under her wings. And it's like that with us. When we feel alone, we feel broken, we feel tired, the Lord brings us under the shadow of his wings. And it says, I will sing for joy. I've got a stat here. Um, I'm using some notes from something I did a while back. And it said apparently that singing, singing, it says, <coughs> when you sing, endorphins are released and something called oxytocin. I'm sure there's some people will know what that is. Right, I don't. Um, but basically it releases hormones during singing. Is this true, Hannah? You love to sing. Okay. Um, and when you, when you sing... Releasing those endorphins and oxytocins and things, it releases, a, it alleviates feelings of anxiety and stress. Is that true? And it, oxytocin in, in, enhances feelings of trust and bonding, which is why basically those that feel lonely and depressed are often encouraged to participate in singing groups because it makes you feel not alone and it releases that pressure. And so why we, we should not be surprised that David sang. When was the last time you sang to yourself in your bedroom alone or maybe in the shower? You know, I found myself the other night, I was making toast, I think it was, or doing something. Helen was on the phone, don't know what she was doing, yeah. And I found myself singing and I just thought, oh, I'm going to embrace this. And I was stood wandering around my kitchen, I was singing out loud and I felt the release of the Lord on my heart. There was something about singing. When you are low and you feel tired and you don't want to do it, the Lord says, sing. Sing, open up your voice, you know? And, and I just, I want to encourage you that if you are in the place of the wilderness this morning, don't be afraid to sing. Because, as we move down this, this verse, it says, my soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. you know, a few years ago, we went uh, to a big cross-country event, and they have this, like, Bromley cross-country event. Uh, and it's like literally thousands of children from all over the borough are dragged along to like run round uh, Crystal Palace Park. And it's like mayhem, right? Kids everywhere uh, and adults everywhere. Uh, and Nathan went and did his run. And, and at one point, um, Reuben, who was, we, Nathan was running in and Reuben was right there next to me. Uh, and Nathan was coming in and somehow, I, maybe it was me, um, uh, lost Reuben. He just disappeared. He was there and then one minute he wasn't there, all right? And I suddenly realised I'd lost Reuben and he'd been wandering around and he was alone. And, um, and we began, you know, you, you, you and your child goes missing, you get worried, right? Where is this child, right? But you know, when I saw, suddenly, there he was, he was stood in the middle of the, the field. Uh, suddenly, I sort of saw him and he saw me. And what do you think he did? He ran to me. And what did he do? Clung to me. My soul clings to you. You know, when they, I saw him this morning and they'd been staying with uh, Paul and Beth and uh, his cousins. And he came to me this morning. Reuben's very like this, right? Big hug. Clings to you. And he didn't want to let go of me. And you know, that's what it's like when you are in a place and you feel dry and you feel weary and there's no hunger. Your soul needs to grab hold of God and cling to him and say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I cling to you. 
George Muller wrote, and I've got a little quote here from George Muller. He said that I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord or how I might glorify the Lord or how I might get my soul into a happy state or how my inner man might be nourished. Now what is the food of the inner man? Not prayer, but the word of God. You know, he realised his primary job, George Muller, a great man of God, did amazing things, built these massive orphanages. But what did he say his priority was every morning? To bring his soul into the place of the word of God. And I just want to, I believe that the Lord is stirring up hunger in his people. And maybe this morning you feel in a spiritual wilderness. And you know one thing I've realised about when you're in a place that's alone with the Lord. You, you may not actually feel that dry. But the truth is you know that your, your heart does not hunger after God. And there are people here this morning that have been going along with the Lord. And the truth is you know that things are not great. And I just want to read, I'm going to read one thing before I close. And it was something that I, I, I heard Billy Graham read. It was a letter that he had. And he was talking about communism. Because right? he was preaching, it was around the like, sort of 1950s, 1960s when Billy Graham was preaching. And he had a letter from a communist, a communist young man, written to his fiancée. Right? Written to his fiancée. And um, breaking off the engagement. They were in, this young couple were engaged. Uh, and, and he wrote this. And he wrote this young communist, wrote to his wife. Oh, to his fiancée, and, and said, you know, we're breaking off the engagement. And, and he said, we communists have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get shot and hung and lynched and tarred and feathered and jailed and slandered and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made to feel as uncomfortable as possible. As a certain percentage of us, percentage of us get killed or imprisoned, we live in virtual poverty we turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists don't have time or the money for many movies or concerts or fancy steaks or decent homes or new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the Communist Party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us, in his own small way, is contributing to something new and truly better for mankind. There is one thing in which I am dead earnest, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread, my meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream at it in the night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating to this force which both, which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude towards it. I've already been in jail because of my ideas and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. That was a young man committed to communism. Do you and I have the same hunger for God? 
Would you say that about the Lord Jesus? If I read that, would you say that's what your life is marked by? A hunger and thirst for God? Oh God, my God, earnestly I seek you. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get you and to get more of you. And that's what I believe the Lord wants to bring us into. And you this morning may be in a place of the wilderness. But if you will set your heart and your mind, I believe the Lord will bring you into a place of freshness where this becomes your testimony, where that becomes my testimony, that I am willing to give everything for the Lord Jesus. Let's stand and pray, shall we?